Hello and welcome to another episode of The Secret Diary of a Network Administrator. It's been a long time since the last one, I know, but I've been busy. But look, I'm here now, so let's crack on. VS Code, first topic of the day. I've been using it for many things, um, mainly for bigger projects or modules that I write. It's a good, easy way of uh, keeping track of all the private and public functions if you split them up that way, which, which I do. I still use the built-in PowerShell ISE for uh, quick scripts or single scripts. Sometimes I break out of VS Code and use the ISE just to figure out a piece of code or part of a function that I'm trying to get working. And then I'll do that in the ISE where I can test it sort of separately and then just copy and paste it into VS Code once I've got it working. That's just the way I, I roll. Uh, it works for me. Uh, I'd still recommend it. But I would say probably if you're just writing scripts, small scripts here and there, it's probably not worth worrying about. Um, I've also migrated my website this year from uh, a paid hosting solution. Uh, I was using Ghost um, as my blog tool, which is excellent. Um, but I thought... Why pay Well, I can do it for free? So I moved it over to GitHub Pages and I use Jekyll as well with that. And it makes management so easy because um, all my posts that are put up and all the editing is done using da, 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 VS Code. So I write my blog post in VS Code, click the button and it commits it to GitHub. And seconds later, it's live and on the blog. It's just so easy. It really is so easy. Uh, so that's something else I've done this year. And I also changed the domain name to fearthepanda.com. I didn't bother keeping the old one or putting any type of forwarding on, redirection, because I'm lazy and I wanted to save money. Uh, some books, I've written two books. Uh, I was going to start it off as a blog post, my first book, and as I started mapping it out, the topics got larger and larger, and I just thought, this is going to be like a thousand-part post. So um, I wrote a book, and I published it on LeanPub, and the book is called Config Manager, An Administrator's Guide to Deploying Applications Using PowerShell. And I used, again... Da, 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 drum roll please, VS Code to write it in. Um, LeanPub works very well with GitHub, so I can commit my writing to GitHub in a private repository, which I've given LeanPub permissions to access, and then LeanPub automatically grabs that and compiles it into a book for me. It's really quite good, the way it all works. Uh, so for me, VS Code is a very useful tool indeed. The book is all about um, how to deploy, well, pretty much anything, not just applications, anything you like. If you need to make any changes to a computer, you know, if you need to register a DLL file or create some folders or anything like that, it's how to do that using a PowerShell script that you're pushing out as an application via Config Manager. So you're not using the uh, the built-in uh, run script feature. It's actually an application that you deploy. 
I think it's a pretty good book. Um, I use it all the time, actually, for, for reference for some of the things in there. Um, have a look. It's on Lean Pub. Uh, see what you think. It is for sale. I think it's $14.99. I think it's set to $19.99, but you can reduce it to $14.99. Um, I've had... I'm not going to lie, I've had quite a few sales, to be honest, and no one has yet refunded it. And, and that's since March or April, I think, I finished the book. Although it's recently had an update last month, I think, or the month before I've updated it. Uh, have a look, read about it on the, on the contents. Um, I don't want to oversell it, really. I haven't advertised it anywhere, actually. Uh, right, so that's that. So it's just another example of using VS Code and how versatile VS Code is. Something else I've done this year is our user creator routine, um, which is a very large PowerShell module that our user support staff run. Um, I completely wrote it, uh, rewrote it from scratch. Uh, there was like a, a small tool that the help desk staff would run from their machine, which interacted with a main program, a main PowerShell script from running on a server, which wasn't the best way of doing things, but we needed a script really quickly. Um, but I rewrote it uh, using VS Code, again, obviously. Um, broke it all down into several, well, many private functions, and a couple of public functions and it now runs directly from the help desk user's computer so there are no server-side components it's so much better than before and more efficient it's a lot easier to troubleshoot because everything's broken down into public and, and private functions um, what i did though was um, originally this script had was it was completely self-contained in that for example all the departments and um, I work for a global company, so we've got offices like in zillions of countries with different addresses, and they were all hard-coded into the original PowerShell script. And, you know, which groups a particular department needed to be in in Active Directory was all hard-coded into the PowerShell script. And it made editing or, or, or adding new, new buildings and addresses and departments and groups and phone numbers, it was a bit tedious and a bit of a pain in the butt to do. So this time round, I took all that out and the PowerShell script just consumes XML. Um, so the XML will contain all the department info, phone numbers, what groups the departments need to be in, blah, blah, blah. I did all that and it worked great. And then it came to editing and it was all right for me to edit, um, but editing XML, it's not the easiest thing to do. Um, so, I, what, sorry, my daughter's just come upstairs. I'm just gonna have to pause this for a second. And I'm back. Uh, I'm in her room actually, because it's the quietest room in the house. But she seems okay with it. Yeah, so editing XML uh, is not the easiest thing to do. Um, and so I refactored the code and I used JSON files, J-S-O-N. How do you pronounce that? JSON? JSON? I don't know. If somebody wants to let me know, feel free. Um, and now it's a lot easier for anybody to edit. So uh, if somebody wants to add a new department or we have a new address, a new office or a new group that 
the department needs or anything like that it's almost as simple as editing a text file and then uh, the PowerShell script that is run on the user's computer reads this JSON file which is stored on a, on a share on our server uh, and just consumes the JSON so I don't really need to touch any PowerShell anymore on that side of things it is as I say a thing of beauty the other thing I did this time with our user creator script was I created a private repository on, uh, on our server. And so if I do update the code, which I have done actually a few times since it's first gone up, made some modifications, just enhanced it and what have you, um, you can just install it um, as if you're installing it from the PowerShell gallery, but just uses our, our private gallery as it were. So it's really nice for new staff as well when we have new staff. They just go to our wiki on how to install it, follow the instructions, and boom, they've got the user creator installed on their machine. Um, I thoroughly recommend doing that. I've written quite a few modules actually for our help desk staff, and uh, it's nice and easy. I can update them so easily. Help desk staff can update their modules. They don't need to ask me for where the scripts are stored or anything like that. They just install dash module, and boom, off they go. Um, it's really easy to do. So. Have a look into that side of things if you're into it. There's something like uh, two or three lines of code or something like that to create your your um, repository. Um, and then on the client side, so your help desk side, they just need to type in a one-off line of code um, to say that this is where the repository is, to look here for it. And that's pretty much it. I suppose I should... Uh, should talk about direct access. Um, I'm migrating. Well, I've put in some AO VPN, always on VPN uh, endpoints at various places uh, around our around the world. Not randomly, obviously, in our offices. <laughs> I've just stuck one in the post office in Frankfurt, and. Um, the idea is to migrate away from direct access. And I would say we're about 90% migrated away from direct access. The infrastructure is a lot more simple with AOVPN than direct access. Far less things to go wrong. Easier to fix if it breaks, although touch wood, nothing's broken so far. Um, I will say it's nowhere near as robust as direct access. There's a few connection issues where if it drops the connection, particularly if you're on Wi-Fi, it doesn't live up to its name and, and reconnect. Um, so to mitigate that, I, I have written a script which is on my GitHub repository, uh, github.com forward slash oz the two ozthe and then number two, there's an AOVPN repository. And um, it just runs as a scheduled task um, that's triggered on various events. Basically, when the connection drops, it checks to see if you're on the corporate LAN, because obviously we don't want to uh, attempt a connection if you're on the corporate LAN. Um, and if you're not, it tries up to predefined number of attempts to automatically reconnect to your AOVPN solution. Um, it works really well. I've seen it activate a few times on my computer because I predominantly work from home. The only time I know it's actually disconnected is because we have work folders and uh, it disconnects and the work folders 
uh, toast notification pops up and says, oh, problem connecting to work folders. But by the time I have clicked on my drives to see or the AOVPN connection to see if it's reconnected, it's instantly there and reconnected. So it works really well. Um, so the downside is um, I'm just using the user side of AOVPN, not the computer side at the moment, because as far as I'm aware, it's the, the computer tunnel is still a bit unstable. But it's something that we need to implement, particularly for uh, manage out. Um, and also for new users, of course, because we're using user certificates. And uh, if you have a new user, we can't just ship out a computer easily without that computer tunnel coming in first. But that's a problem for another day. Um, where would we be without talking about Config Manager, SCCCM? I still have a love-hate relationship with it. I really do. Uh, it just now, I mean, the team, the SCCM team are so efficient. It just seems you have to update it all the time. And uh, as I've mentioned previously, I'm not one of these guys that just clicks a button and goes update. I like to make sure that I've got backups, I've taken precautions, and, um, you know, I don't just want to click it and pray that everything works. So it's not as easy as, I mean, sure, yeah, it is easy. You can just click the button and upgrade, and last time I did it, it did just work. But it takes time, you know, doing weird prelim checks, making sure everything's good and working and healthy, and... Uh, and then pushing out the new client uh, and we use LAPS you know local admin password service so um, it's not as easy as it could be pushing out the new client it's still easy don't get me wrong but it could be easier if we weren't using LAPS um, so yeah FCCM one of the things I've done recently is um, I decided to break away from the integrated MDT task sequence um, because we just don't need it. The reason I first integrated MDT was because when I first joined the company I'm with, um, I realized that we had many different languages that needed to be deployed with the operating system deployment. The company I was with before, it was just UK English, so it was easy. This one we have French, German, Portuguese, yeah, I mean, you name the language, Chinese, you name it, we have to deploy it. And um, MDT was the way to go for that. And uh, it, it got me out of a bind really quickly, to be fair. However, if you've seen the task sequence that gets created, it is massively unwieldy and hard to maintain and particularly now with the, the new versions of config manager where you can create child task sequences it's just so nice to have a nice clean task sequence which i have now so i've ditched the mdt task sequence i have a standard built in as it were task sequence for my operator system deployment it's a single task sequence with several child task sequences which just makes troubleshooting so much easier if I have to. I have the language deployment in one task sequence, applications are in another task sequence, etc, etc. Nice and easy. Um, before I had a, two or three task sequences as well. And um, as you know, if you change an application, you need to change it in all the task sequences. And now with child task sequences, you change it in one place because 
each primary task sequence can reference that single child task sequence. I think I've had enough of saying task sequence and child task sequence, so I'll try not to say that anymore. Anyway, I have a single task sequence now, um, and one of the hurdles that I, I found was how to easily deploy language packs and regional settings without the MDT help. And when I looked around on the internet, it seemed that there was no clear definitive way. There, I mean, there were methods out there, but they are really long-winded and hard to troubleshoot. You know, they take a long time. There's unattended files and custom variables coming out of your ears that you have to set. And in the end, you end up with a task sequence that looks just as long as your original MDT task sequence. Absolutely terrible. They have mitigated that somewhat in the latest version of Config Manager. I understand there's uh, uh, some sort of regional settings you can set now for keyboard layout and region, locale. Um, I haven't tried it. I haven't got it installed because I haven't had time to upgrade. Um, it doesn't install the language packs, as far as I can tell, but it certainly helps with a lot of other things. So not having that installed, I had to figure out a way of doing it in the easiest and simplest way possible because we're forever changing, uh, or it's not changing, but adding new languages as we expanding to uh, other countries. And um, I found out such a simple way to do it. And uh, there's no information out there that I could see that has pieced all this together. So what did I do? I wrote another book. <laughs> I used VS Code again, of course, and there's a book which is priced at $9.99, I believe. This is all in dollars, by the way, $9.99. It's the simplest and easiest method out there. I can absolutely assure you, you won't find an easier method, short of upgrading to the very latest version of Config Manager, and even then you'll still have some issues because it won't solve all of them. It's so simple to understand. You, you can come back to it months and months and months later and understand exactly how to edit it or add new languages or remove languages. And you can mix and match so you can deploy in UK English but have a Portuguese keyboard and time zone or whatever. You know, you can do all of that. It's so, so easy. You don't need any coding experience. You don't need to understand. You just need to be able to read, basically. If you can read um, and have a small amount of comprehension, um, then you'll be able to understand this. So the book is called Config Manager, an Administrator's Guide to Deploying Regional Settings. It's on LeanPub, leanpub.com. Um, you know, again, I haven't advertised it because it's not what it's all about. It's mainly for my reference. And that is quite a new book. I think I published it in November, early November. And it is selling. So, and again, no refunds. So I'm assuming the information's sound. There's one thing in there which I feel makes it well worth the money. It's a, it's a spreadsheet that contains um, all the GOID locales um, you, you need to see it it's everything you need in one line you basically look up the language and 
follow the line, the row across the spreadsheet, and it gives you everything you need um, for when you're configuring the bits in Config Manager. I think it's going to save you hours and hours and hours and hours of research and time. But you know, have a look, see what you think. Um, app Blocker. So that's something I've been meaning to do for a while, and finally uh, I'm doing it in earnest. Um, I'm using something called Aaron Locker, which is a guy, Aaron, what's his last name? I can't remember his last name. A-A-R-O-N. Um, the code's on GitHub. If you go to GitHub, search for Aaron Locker, um, you'll see uh, the code there that you need. You can download it. The documentation's excellent. And basically what it does is um, it's a set of PowerShell scripts and it scans for um, all sorts of things that, that a user might have created. For example, directories in the C drive. It checks, checks for those, for custom directories. Um, things that are in um, app data um, that a user may have installed. Um, and gives you a report on that in a spreadsheet, in an Excel spreadsheet. And the basic idea is you have three groups. You have an audit group, an enforce group, and an exempt group. And you set up an event collector server, stick your machines in the audit groups, and periodically check the logs. And then via these logs, you can run another script that is provided, which will automatically generate two sets of rules, an audit rule and an enforce rule, which you can then just import into AppLocker in group policy. <clears throat> it's so, so good. It is so good. The documentation is outstanding. And um, to be honest, if, if we didn't have this guy, Aaron, and his Aaron Locker solution, AppLocker would only be 70 or 80% effective, I think. This guy makes it 99% effective. When you first implement AppLocker, I would recommend placing a few machines in audit mode, particularly if you're a large organization, because when you check the, the logs later from your event collection server um, and the spreadsheet opens up in front of you and it shows you what would have been blocked, um, it can be quite overwhelming. So the way I did it, I just chose a few machines mainly all of our IT machines in our UK office and uh, a couple of other machines and then I created the rules made sure they didn't pop up in audit mode again added a few more etc 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 because it can be really overwhelming it takes a long time to get AppBlocker sorted because for quite a few days all you're doing is creating rules for legitimate software to be able to run but once it's done start putting the machines in the enforce group and hopefully nothing springs up because you've you've created all the rules required from the from the audit mode um, you'll get the occasional thing um, it caused a bit of kerfuffle in the office um, Spotify <laughs> stopped working things like that um, but that's good people couldn't just install what they want anymore you know things that would normally run in um, app data or uh, portable apps that they've just decided they want to download and run 
suddenly stop working. And now it has to go through the IT department. If there's an app that they want, it has to go through us and uh, we'll deploy it via Config Manager. Um, so the way AppBlocker works is if you're an administrator, you can still install anything. Um, if you're a local administrator, anything in program files, um, obviously that is allowed to run by default. It assumes that's been put there by an administrator. It's working really well and I've probably got about 70% of our global organization in enforce mode at the moment. 30% uh, to go, so we're getting there. I thoroughly recommend you look at it. Anyway, Aaron Locker, there's also some videos he's done as well. I think there's a couple on YouTube and uh, there's a couple of Microsoft ones he's done. Um, so search it out uh, and have a watch. As I said, the documentation is absolutely exemplary. Can't recommend it enough. Uh, what else? Oh, yeah, we bought a... Bought, purchased, we've merged, bought another company. And um, I had to create a two-way transitive trust relationship a few weeks ago because their accounts department needed to uh, access some of our files and vice versa. And um, it went incredibly smoothly, pretty much, I would say. I had a bit of a stumbling block with some um, DNS resolution issues, but once I resolved those, um, it worked perfectly well. And um, the other company can access our files using uh, DFSN target links. Uh, the next step is to adjust our task sequence so I can image their machines and corporate brand them with their own backdrops and locking wallpaper and get them using the uh, the uh, SCCM catalogue. Ooh, Amazon delivery. Excuse me one moment. Um, they're going to be in for a bit of a shock. Um, they have uh, a mixture of computers ranging from Windows 7 to Windows 10 different versions, professional, enterprise, and all of the staff log on as local administrators. Yep, it really is out there, folks. Um, so they're gonna have a massive shock soon because <laughs> they're going on to laps and there'll be a local administrator password service and um, they'll be all config managed up and the machines will be locked down and uh, well it's better for them right better for them protect their assets protect our assets safer all around but I'm sure uh, as you know nobody likes change but it's got to be done uh, what's next uh, Twitter and social media in general I've pretty much given up on it um, I don't know I just I felt Twitter was my primary social media outlet and um, at first I thought it was useful but I don't think it is useful to be honest a lot of it is posting things that you know if you're in the game you can um, you can just look up anyway you know a lot of it's duplicate information it's particularly when config manager release a new a new version and then people will just duplicate it the, the, you know, they'll duplicate the original blog post from Microsoft and they'll say, oh, the six best things from the new version. You think, well, just follow the Microsoft blog and then you can see for yourself or subscribe to it. 
and you can read read it exactly as Microsoft have given it to you rather than somebody's interpretation of it and and what have you and um, I was just bored of um, people saying I don't know Twitter tweets like um, what should I blog about X or Y which one is of most value to you I mean come on talk about saying oh look I know how to do both of these things I just it just seems to be like a, a way of saying look at me look at me look at me and I was pretty much sick of it I mean really just blog about both <laughs> both you know you need to boast about things or blog about one and then when you have time blog the next one and um, I was seeing some quite high-profile Twitter people out there um, saying things like or what it takes to become an MVP and and what you should and shouldn't do and it's like, oh, I've just had enough so originally I started out by not following a lot of people Don Jones uh, was probably one of the highest profile ones that I stopped following because he seems to blog about rubbish now or he did do anyway um, and that helped a bit and then in the end I just dropped it and I haven't looked at Twitter in months and months and months and I feel so much better for it let me say this if you want to learn anything just research it yourself look it up yourself subscribe to the official blogs you know you don't need people retweeting particularly config manager which is what I was mainly interested in anyway I found that so many people were just tweeting the same things exactly the same things oh new version of Comping manager this is what it does I already read that on the Microsoft blog anyway that's my whinge um, what else have I been doing Azure yeah I've been doing quite a bit of Azure stuff which is uh, I'm quite enjoying actually um, ranging from things like uh, Azure Traffic Manager which I use for the AOVPN solution down to uh, quite recently a couple of weeks last week actually um, I had to set up uh, a new SQL database and key vault service for our Dynamics data export um, which was requested uh, so I did that that was good making sure that was secure following best practices you know what I wish that the Microsoft documentation was up to date and relevant things like um, uh, I don't know they, they give you some PowerShell scripts for creating the, the key vault so that it works um, with the Dynamics data export service which to be honest you can do it you don't need their PowerShell scripts but it was there so I thought I'd use it and it did work don't get me wrong it did work but it uses the outdated version of the Azure module it was using Azure RM instead of the new AZ module and it's just things like that that you think just update it you know get with the times they must have a dedicated team surely I don't know maybe they don't who knows and the other thing is I found that um, when I was looking into um, how to configure the Dynamics data export service to work with the um, Key Vault and the SQL database I found that although they had a document on setting up this very thing it was not complete <laughs> it's 80% there um, which sounds quite high 80% but 80% is not enough to get it working so um, 
yeah, come on, Microsoft, pull your socks up. Anyway, it's working. I mean, it wasn't hard, but it's not the point, right? It's not the point. But it's fun. I'm enjoying the Azure stuff, and uh, I think I've got lots more to come. And finally, uh, toast notifications. Uh, a bit of fun. Uh, toast notifications are the things that pop up by the clock on your computer. Um, let's say, oh, your antivirus is out of date or updates need installing. Um, I found a module on GitHub because I thought this could be useful for some PowerShell scripts that I want to write. And I found a module on GitHub that somebody's written called Burnt Toast. If you look it up on GitHub, you'll be able to find that. Um, but of course, that's dependent on having that module installed. And I've got some ideas for some things that I want running on, on some of our clients um, that our users use. And also the type of person I am, I don't really want to rely on someone else's module. I don't mind using it as a stepping stone, but I like to figure out how stuff works. And I figured out how to use toast notifications myself without relying on someone's module. It doesn't do half the stuff that this person's module does, to be fair, which is very, very extensive. And uh, if you're into looking at toast notifications and what they can do you should definitely check out this burnt toast module because it's it's exceptional but i didn't want the prerequisite of having to have this module installed in everybody's machine so i figured out how to use toast notifications and i can do it myself now and uh one of the ideas i want to do is just to let people know when their passwords are about to expire um by popping up a toast notification on a scheduled task that, I don't know, maybe 10 days to get a notification, then five days and three days, because users just ignore the standard Windows built-in toast notification, or they miss it. And uh, we also send out emails because we have something called Netrix auditing software, which sends out emails to users as well to say, hey, your password's gonna expire, but that gets ignored too. So I figure if I have something that pops up and uh, I can make it stay there as well until they click it to go away, they're not going to miss it. It's just an idea anyway. And uh, of course I can use it for all sorts of other scripts that I write in the future, not just for users, but for, um, for us in IT. So that's it. Uh, I've got a lot that I've been doing. I've got a lot to do. I still have uh, a new certificate server that I need to build completely new um, oh my god when am I going to do that I don't know next year probably I still have uh, this other company that I've just done the trust relationship for got to sort all their stuff out and um, I've got to put some branch cache servers in at a couple of places uh, yeah there's, it's never ending it's never ending so much to do so that's what I've been up to this year so far this is probably going to be the last blog post for this year, I would imagine. And at some point, I'll do another podcast next year. When? I don't know. So, have a good Christmas, happy holidays, whatever it is you do over that period of time. Happy New Year. And I'll speak to you at some point next year. Bye.